Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. Happy race week. How's it going? Happy race week, Alyssa. Things are going pretty good. I guess we have a, a little bit of a spoiler in that I'm not in Nice yet. I'm. We're recording this a little early and I'm packing and about to head off tomorrow morning. But you are already in Madison, I believe, getting ready for Ironman Wisconsin. This That's happening this, well, when this comes out, will be this Sunday, correct? Yes. So I came out about 10 days early and I have a lovely homestay here that's helping to make that possible. And I was able to get out on the bike course today. And so I've done this race twice before, once in 2010 as an amateur and once in 2016 as a pro when I was fourth. And in 2016, we rode a different bike course because there was some construction going on and that changed it around. So it has been quite a while since I've rode like the original bike course loop, I guess. So it was really nice to get out there today and refresh my memory because I definitely 
had forgotten a lot of the nuances of that. And so I'm happy I can uh, get in a couple more rides and just kind of get myself used to the Wisconsin rollers that are out here. And, you know, it's always just such a nice like summertime city to be in. People are swimming in the lake. People are rollerblading on the lake path. People are getting flowers at the farmer's market. Like it's just it's quite lovely in Madison this time of year. So I'm excited to be here and get some training in and also relax leading up to next weekend. Sounds delightful. Well, I'm excited to be heading to Nice, France for the Ironman 70.3 World Championships that are happening this Saturday. So I'm doing half the distance of you, but slightly different terrain and a giant field. Yes. And so you are flying out tomorrow. So have you been packing? Are you like, what's your flight schedule like? Yeah, I fly out at 6 a.m. tomorrow. It is one of those like, oh, my goodness, I, I think I need to fire my flight, my, whatever, not my my uh, my travel agent. Don't fire the flight attendants. You need the flight attendants. <laughs> yeah, I do need the flight attendants. Fire the travel agent. No, it's that's one of the things about living in Bozeman. It's you do end up getting a lot of those 6 a.m. flights out of here. So it's not too bad. I fly from here to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Nice. So not the craziest travel schedule ever. Should be, you know, hopefully pretty smooth everything or my fingers are crossed for smooth travel. But I've never been to France or, you know, that part of Europe. So I'm very excited to see a new part of the world. And yes, I'm, I'm nearly packed. My bike is packed. I uh, have all my laundry, all my Smashfest Queen gear. Smashfest Queen Apparel, of course, is a sponsor of the podcast and myself personally. I will be out there in my HC kit, the green and yellow and pink kit that I've been wearing all year, which I'm so excited to wear on the world stage and represent a great company. I love it. And well, it's, it's going to be like a full on smash noon pro racing weekend i am racing obviously in wisconsin i'll be in my smash noon hydration kit and ariel the marketing director i believe right is that her official title i forget exactly what it is but ariel knutson is also racing with me in wisconsin and i know she's going to be wearing that kit as well so shout out to her because i'm excited to have a twin on course as always but if you want to be twins with us and some of the smash fest kits then you can always go to smashfestqueen.com for ten dollars off your order of a hundred dollars or more that's cool i didn't i think i saw that ariel was racing but that's cool you'll be wearing the same kit i love it that'll be fun yes we're very excited for this so there will there will be some high fives um as we you know the run course i think is is pretty suited to see each other a couple times at least so that'll be that'll be really fun cool well yes they're they're bright kits they're always good for a couple extra cheers on course i've found so thank you to smash fest queen and noon hydration for your support of the podcast and Haley, good luck packing and we'll move on to our mailbag segment. So if people have questions, you can always send them into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a question this week. This one comes in from Megan and she's asking our opinion on a new bike. So she's an elite age grouper, 45 to 49, doing mostly Olympic distance racing. Every now and then she does a 70.3. She has a Cervelo P2C with head deep dish 650c wheels the bike's about 11 years old and the wheels are 15 years old she's had a lot of bike fits and you know like here and there a few tweaks but for the most part the position's dialed in and is good so she's curious about what our experience is with speed on a new bike so she just went to age group nationals 
and she realized she has one of the older bikes that was there. So she's curious if like when people say, you know, to invest in a new bike, it could make you faster. Like, are we talking about one to two minutes faster over the course of the Olympic? Because that would be quite a big difference for her. And she would, you know, definitely consider getting into the market for that. Um, right now she's riding usually 65 to 66 minutes, 64 to 66 minutes for an Olympic 40 K. And yeah, that's so fast. <laughs> Megan, you are doing quite well on that, that, um, 11 year old bike. And I think more impressively to me is the 15 year old wheels. And so I'll take a stab at this, at my opinion here first. And I would say that the bike itself, like a Cervelo P2 is actually a, a quite good bike. You know, that's not, there have been some minor tweaks, improvements to bike frames and things like covers to go over front brakes and things, you know, to make streamline the aeroness on the frame. But Cervelo P2 is a, is a solid one. The wheels being 15 years old, however, those there have been a lot of progress actually made in race wheels over the last 15 years. And so, you know, my, I think, piece of advice would be maybe to not get in the market for a new bike frame, but maybe get in the market for some new race wheels because, you know, I'm not sure I would have to consult some of my bike expert people that I consult also known as my boyfriend, but I would bet he would say that, you know, it would be a b close to a minute. Maybe you could get depending on what wheels you're riding now. And if you upgraded to something like, you know, those zip, what are they? The four thirty fours or something like the newest ones or something like that. You don't, and they're not even super deep dish. So they're pretty versatile. You could ride them on a lot of courses, things like that. That's an interesting take. Yeah. I, I would need to know a little bit more, I think, about her wheels and and them being 650s, I think is interesting. Um, most, I mean, uh, when my first bike, my first tri bike had 650s, and then I did change to a bike that was 700 C wheels, so a little bit bigger wheel. And to be honest, the entire bike fit me better. So the bike with the bigger wheels fit me better. But if she's a really petite person, six, and it sounds like her fit is good, 650s could be perfect. I mean, and like Alyssa said, I, I don't think there's any... Uh, any issues with, with riding an older bike. Um, I, you know, I think, I think we can feel self-conscious about our bike because we are in that kind of sport where, you know, everyone's looking at each other and looking at what kind of gear you have, but like Natasha Badman, she rode the same bike like a really long time. Right. And she won Kona like yep. six or seven times. <laughs> so exactly. I don't think, I mean, if the bike fits you and if the components are working, I wouldn't change a thing. I, you know, just, yeah. say, Hey, no, I'm like Natasha. And then yeah, the wheels, I, I don't know enough to comment there. I, they might be great. I, I honestly, I would know, need to know a little bit more about them. There also are other ways that, you know, you might be able to get a minute or two and that's like practicing transitions or getting a little more sleep or, you know, maybe trying out different racing flats or running shoes. Because if you're riding a 104 to 106 Olympic distance bike split, you're riding really fast. <laughs> so, I, you know, maybe if you, I don't know if you have an aero helmet, those kind of things, like there might be other ways that you could drop time over your total triathlon time that are a little bit more cost effective and yeah like you're you're right like things like a sleeved aero suit you know just those minor little details which again over the course of an olympic you know it's not going to add up to as much as we get in like iron distance racing and stuff like that but every little bit could help and it might be something where like i don't know i just i 
I tend to think if you like that bike and it fits you well, you know, that's a, that's a good sign if you're riding that, that fast on that bike. So good luck. Tell us what you do. If you tell us how this ends up, Megan, I'm actually very curious about this. So I'd love to kind of have this one go, go full circle. If you can keep us updated. All right. And we have a little bit of summit news. The outspoken summit is happening this November 15th through 17th in Tempe, Arizona. And we just wanted to uh, remind everyone that we have a couple scholarships, one full ride scholarship sponsored by women for try that includes a, your flight, your room and the summit registration fee. So covers everything. There's also a registration fee scholarship, and then there's multiple discounted entries that are need-based for those who might need a little financial assistance, being able to get themselves to Tempe this November. So if you want to apply for those scholarships, it's one general application for all of them. And that application is, um, we'll include the link in the show notes, but you can also go to outspokensummit.com and the deadline is September 13th. So when this, when this podcast airs, that will be just, you know, next week. So definitely if you're interested, get your application in. And we have two guests on the podcast today. And first up though, is Emily Cox and Emily is a former 70.3 specialist. She raced as a pro for many years, specializing in 70.3, but she did race Ironman Arizona as like her, one of her swan song races, I will say. So, um, that was fun to see her, her do that iron distance before she retired. Emily has also hosted her own triathlon preview podcast. She is our go-to woman for all research that has to do with the pro racing. And so we brought Emily on this week to chat about 70.3 world championships, which are coming up on Saturday. And here's our chat with Emily now. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Emily. Welcome back to Iron Women. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about the 70.3 World Champs. And so we're talking to you about a week before the actual race for the women, um, over in Nice. And so just as a disclaimer for our listeners, there could be a lot of changes that do happen in the next week. And we're going off our best efforts right now of who we think is starting and who will actually be there for the race. But of course, there are some things that maybe Instagram isn't telling us about people who won't actually be going to race. So just a small disclaimer there. And along those lines, Emily, I think you have done some research for us on some of the athletes who we know were, we're pretty sure at least won't be <laughs> attending next weekend. Right? Yeah. So I did some, um, research, AKA Instagram stalking. And I found that Barbara Riveros has, it looks like a torn plantar fascia. So she posted that a couple of days ago. So I'm assuming she's not starting. I also saw that Fenella Langridge, number 21 has a broken foot. So I'm also assuming that she's not starting. And then Sarah Crowley is on the Santa Cruz list as well. And I think she won there last year. So I'm and she's training in Park City right now. So I don't know if she's going to make the trip over to Nice to race and then 
go all the way back to Hawaii or whatever. So that's like an iffy one, but that's my assumption that she races in California. What about Annie Haug? I know that after Copenhagen, there was some, you know, Ironman Copenhagen. She had that incredible race there. And on the finish or on the finish line, she actually said she was considering still doing 70.3 worlds. Is she still on the list? Um, I pulled up the list from the um, start list on the Ironman website and she's number three is not on there anymore. So I'm assuming she's not starting. Okay. So that's a pretty big name to be uh, not on the list. Who, who should we be watching for? Well, I mean, you have the top two returning from last year, Daniela Reef and Lucy Charles, and then Holly Lawrence is back after a couple year hiatus. I mean, what she raced in Chattanooga and DNF there, and then she was injured last year. So I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of, I don't think she's ever raced Lucy Charles, if I'm not mistaken. Do you guys, I think you're right. She hasn't. I mean, Holly's only been at all the like championship races this year, the North American championship. She won all of them European championship, but I believe Lucy wasn't there. Lucy did the challenge championship where uh, Holly wasn't. So that'll be a fun showdown to watch. Yeah, for sure. And I know, um, I think I, I heard something that Daniela reef did that out Duez triathlon. And I think she was the fastest up the, you know, the Alp climb out of everyone, including the pro men. And I know the Nice course features like a big kind of mountainous tour de Francis type climb and descent. So, you know, I think that bodes well for her. I think she'll probably be riding pretty strongly. Just don't know kind of where she's coming from as far as like preparing for Kona and this, but I mean, it's a good time to race. It's five weeks out. I think so you can do a race and then rest a little bit and then do a last bit of training for Kona and you're not traveling as far as she's been training in Europe. Speaking of the course, I was intending to do some, some research and then I (laughs) I didn't, but, um, you know, an interesting thing would be to look at any of the women who have raced like in Nice already, um, whether Ironman France or Nice has a, has had a separate 70.3 before, has it? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that kind of skill level when it comes to cycling to be able to do those just long sustained climbs. And like, if you look at the course profile, the bike course is a climb and a descent for like a lot of, you know, the, that loop. So that skill I think is going to come in handy for those women who have it. And, you know, I think we've seen a lot of people who are gearing up for 70.3 world championships, like Haley kind of gearing their training, right? Like, to go make sure those skills are fine tuned. But, you know, even just interviewing some of the women like who are balancing jobs and families and things like that, like that kind of an option for them to be able to get out to specific training places like that isn't, you know, as easy. So I think we're definitely going to see certain people rise to the top, maybe who have been able to make that a priority because I think it's going to change a lot. Just, just the basic skills on the bike. Yeah. And, you know, people who've, like you've said, who've done kind of hilly descending fast courses, like even if they've done something like I look at Lauren Goss, who's won Escape from Alcatraz and has, you know, been top three there multiple times. Like that's the kind of course that takes some technical descending and then doing a hard run off that because you're going to like do a hard climb, which is probably going to be kind of above 70.3 effort. And then you're going to have a demanding, like mentally demanding descent where you're not going to be pedaling as much. And then you have to get off and run like how, you know, that lactic acid is going to have a bit of time to kind of like sit there. Like, how's that going to affect people's runs? Um, We're just going to have to wait and see 
um, what happens there. And also, Haley, this might be a question for you. Is the swim looking to be wetsuit legal or non-wetsuit? Do you have any idea? So I'm preparing for both. I I don't know for sure. And I think they purposefully kind of keep it vague. I'm I'm hoping non-wetsuit. I think it's kind of, I mean, when I Google the Mediterranean, it tells me like September in the Mediterranean is between 70 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 72 is our cutoff. So I'm hoping for, at least for the pros with that 72 degree Fahrenheit cutoff that it's non-wetsuit. Um, I have my fingers crossed. Age groupers are 76. So you could see another chance where you have pros in non-wetsuit and age group is in wetsuit. Right. Because, I mean, that would make a big difference, too. I think the, you know, the gaps could be bigger in the swim, like someone like Emma Pallant, who's more of a bike runner specialist. She might have a bigger gap to Lucy Charles or Holly Lawrence or Daniela Reef coming out of the water, which means she might have to ride that climb higher, harder. You know, how's that going to affect her run? Because she's one of those people who's like a really strong runner. So um, I kind of look at stuff like that and I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens with wetsuit versus non-wetsuit. And what about what about these fast runners we've seen in the last just couple weeks? You mentioned Emma Pallant running a 116 um, off the bike and was that I, I, I'm like trying to remember where it was. Vici and then Chelsea Sidero in uh, Santa Rosa, Jackie Herring at Traverse City. I mean, this is in addition to Holly and Daniela who we, and Lucy Charles, who we've seen run really fast. Could this be like just, you know, a drag race on that run if people come off close to one another? I would think so. I mean, I think it's a flat run, like right on the promenade, like uh, Ironman Nice, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fast run. And you also have like someone like Laura Phillip, if she, I know she's been injured. So if her runs kind of back to form and she's also probably preparing for Kona. So I don't know for sure um, if she's racing, but yeah, I mean, you're going to have people like that who, you know, might be able to make up some time if they've lost a little, cause you could lose some time on the descent. I mean, if you're not prepared or, I mean, if you, I mean, you have to be a bit of a risk taker, but not too many risks. Right. So it's like, it's a balance. And I think on a race like this, people can kind of, um, you know, get too worked up and like almost beat themselves by overcooking something or, you know, God forbid they like miss a little turn or something like that. So it's, I think it, it takes some, you have to be kind of like chill and like a ninja, I guess. I don't know. You hear that, Haley? You have to be like a ninja. I am packing all my ninja (laughs) skills for niece. That is for sure. And one thing I did notice, I mean, this, so this field is 63 women per the bib list, at least, right? And this, we believe, could be the biggest female pro field that we've seen at a world championships and the first world championships we've seen under the new slot system for pros. And so this one does have equal slots for women because it was two years ago, right? So they broke the 70.3 world champs up into two days. So the women are racing Saturday, the men are racing Sunday, and it was opposite of that last year. And I'll just get on my soapbox for a minute and say that like, if you look at this list, it is a very, very deep field. Like as I was going through here, preparing for my picks, which we'll talk about shortly. Mm. I mean, you go through and you're like, this person's one, a 70.3, this person's one, a 70 point, this person's one, you know, and like, you're going down and down and down. And like, you continue to see 70.3 champions all the way through this list, which is, you know, just another kind of 
notch towards people who think that women, maybe because there are less women currently competing in triathlon, deserve a proportional number of slots to that in the world championships. Like this blows that theory out of the water because we absolutely have equal spots here and we absolutely are having the depth of field here to prove that we deserve the equal spots. And I know it's been a bit of a discussion, but I also really feel that, you know, it's also proven that when you, when they, I guess, when Ironman WTC gave the women equal spots, like it has shown over the past couple of years, like this depth and these numbers have been building. Right. And there are more women, like the field sizes at 70.3s. There's a lot of murmurs about how big those are for the women these days. And it's like, I absolutely think that's because of some effect of having equal spots and equal opportunity for women and more women are stepping up. So just want to step, I'll step off my soapbox now, but I did want to put that out there for those of you who have been following as we are working towards equal slots for the Ironman world championships as well. Yeah. I was just going to say only one more big race to go to get equal slots, you know, and people are shocked. I mean, I've talked to some very high profile people in the sport who are shocked to learn that Kona does not have equal slots for pro men and women. So uh, we just, yeah, we definitely need to keep hammering that home that it doesn't exist yet. People think it does and it doesn't, but it's one of the reasons I'm doing the 70.3 world championship. When they first announced the separate days and equal slots, I was like, I'm in, you know, it's going to be the a really competitive race and I want to be there and I want to encourage them to continue doing this. So I'm glad they've continued doing it, but I agree. I agree with you, Alyssa. It's, it does not destroy the depth of field at all. That's for sure. And Emily, you talked about, you touched on it briefly, um, before we go into our picks, but there are a handful, well, more than a handful. Let's see, one, two, three, probably more like 10, 12 women, at least on the bib list who are racing in Kona as well. And so it's five weeks out from that. You know, it is a bit of travel. Like that's an extra, you know, what, five, six hours of a time change difference from over in Kona. And so, yeah, five weeks is a lot. But as someone who's, you know, taken three weeks to adjust from coming back from Copenhagen, like it takes time, right? And so your training just might not be top notch in that in-between period where you want to get in that last, like, good few weeks going into Kona. Right. So, uh, I guess, you know, any thoughts on that? And then also like, does this really tell us anything about Kona shape? Yeah. So, I mean, most, so most of the people who are racing Kona and are doing this race are the ones who like Danielle has been training in Switzerland. Lucy's based in Europe. So at least for this race, they don't have travel in terms of like major time changes happening. Um, so I think that's a plus Kona shape, I mean, I got to think if you're getting ready for Kona, you're probably pretty fit right now. The question is, do you have any like lingering fatigue? Like I know Lucy Charles posted, like had my biggest week of training ever, you know, excited for another week. And I'm like, that's either really good or really bad, but she's also like 25 years old. probably takes her three days to recover. Um, (laughs) uh, Good old days. I know the good old days. So you know, and someone like Daniela Reef, I feel like she's got probably got it dialed. And this being a strength course with the climbing on the bike, I think you can get away with maybe not having that like super top end 70.3 like speed on the bike. Does that make any sense? And so you might be able to get away with maybe a little bit more Ironman focus coming into this, but it definitely, I think, you know, someone like Holly Lawrence, she is 
prepped for only a 70.3 and she might have a little less, like she have, might have a little more pop in her legs and that could play to her advantage. So we have to, we have to give our picks. My personal picks are of course myself for first, second and third. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to happen, but I can't bet against myself. So they're mine, but um, actually going on, let's, uh, let's hear the experts, the outside experts picks. Emily, you go first. Okay. So I have to pick one, two and three in order. Yes. And a dark, oh. a dark mare as well. As someone okay. maybe not thinking of who could sneak into that, you know, maybe top five or top 10. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go Lawrence. I think she's a gamer. And if she's on, um, I think she can win. I'm going to go Lawrence reef, uh, palant. And then for my dark mare, I'm going to go, um, Rodka Kalafelt. She always seems to be around in the top five. Ooh. Okay. Alyssa, Alyssa, who are you following up with? Following right, that up I'm, with, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested that uh, Emily didn't put Lucy Charles on the podium. That's an interesting pick there. But you have been following her Instagram, so maybe that mm-hmm. you have some insight. Okay, Alyssa, who are you? Who's your top three? So I'm going to go with Daniela for the win. I'll put Holly in second. I think it's going to be a battle, but I think I think Daniela is going to pull it out. And then I'm putting Lucy on the podium in third. And my dark mare is Ellie Salthouse. We don't have any intel. She's not racing, right? No, she's been there training. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good one. Excellent picks, ladies. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for coming on and giving us some insight into the uh, 70.3 World Championships that are happening this Saturday in Nice, France. I'll be racing number 14. So if you don't know who to cheer for from all of that previous chatter, you can always cheer for number 14. (laughs) Yep. Thanks for having me. And I will be watching and cheering for you, Haley. I'm excited. Haley, I forgot to say one of my picks with Emily, and that is my first American pick, and that is the one and only Haley Chura. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I know I'm calling out for all the cheers, but I'll take your picks as well. But um, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take whatever I can get. I did enjoy listening to Emily's insight on uh, the course in Nice, and I'll be doing a little recon hopefully when I get over there. But before we uh, totally sign off here, we have another interview for you. And this is one that we're pretty excited about. We have Susan Lakey, who is an author and columnist. You probably read some of her columns in Traffling Magazine. And we had her on, I think, in the end of 2017 when she was talking about her first book. But she has a new book out. It's called Running Outside the Comfort Zone. And it is basically, she's, she spent a year of her life doing a whole bunch of different running races, just testing everything out. She compiled them all in this book and we got to sit down and well, if you aren't familiar with Susan and our interview with her last year, but we actually did a kind of cool thing to do at this interview. Susan is deaf and to record this interview, we didn't do it the traditional way where we would necessarily do it over the phone because that wouldn't necessarily work. So she was actually able to sit down with a trusted friend and lip read while her friend read our questions and then we dubbed our voices in later so I'm giving you a little behind the scenes here on how we made this work but Susan is always entertaining her book is fantastic and you can hear our chat right after this 
Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right. And do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. Hi, Susan. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Hi there. It's great to be back. I've always enjoyed uh, spending time with you. We last talked to you in December 2017, and in that interview, you actually hinted that you were already hard at work on what would become your second book. A year and a half later, we're so happy to have you back on the show to talk about the recently released Running Outside the Comfort Zone. What is the quote-unquote runner comfort zone, and why did you want to get out of it? Yes, I'm really excited about this book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone. It was a really wonderful experience to put together this book, um, mostly because it allowed me to have a really fun year to sail with so many runners and endurance athletes. When I talk about the runner comfort zone, I think about what a lot of people consider to be running, which is marathons and 5Ks. Right. We all assume that running has to be these traditional races. And real running, um, you know, when you use those air quotes around the phrase real running, um, is serious. Right? It's got to be hard. You have to suffer. You have to, you know, challenge yourself and put through the pain and all of these things. And I had been doing that for years. I was trying so hard to be a so-called real runner, and I was burned out. I hated running. It was the worst. And that's kind of a challenge when you're somebody whose job is to write about running, right? And I was really considering, you know what, maybe I'm just not meant to be a runner. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. I'm done with that. And so before I threw in the towel, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a year and I'm going to go outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to do all of these races that scare me, that challenge me, that I never had time to do because I was too busy being that so-called real runner. So I signed up for all of these crazy races all over the world. I signed up, for example, to do a naked 5K in Tampa. I ran up the stairs of the Empire State Building. I smuggled running suits into Cuba and ran across the Grand Canyon. I went to South Africa and I did the Comrades Ultramarathon. All of these experiences packed into one year make up my new book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone. Most of our listeners probably trend toward the endurance end of the racing spectrum. So I think we'd all agree races like the Fast and the Furious 400 meter Red Bull 400 and the 86 story Empire State Building run up would be well outside our comfort zones. 
can you get the same sense of accomplishment from a race that lasts fewer than 20 minutes? I used to think that too. I've done Ironman triathlons. I've done marathons. I've done all of these long and hard events. But I really never considered that the Red Bull 400, for example, could be hard. Now, the Red Bull 400 is a race where you run up an Olympic ski jump. So you gain quite a bit of elevation in a very short time. On the surface, that sounds pretty easy, right? It's just hell repeat. But the first time I saw the Red Bull 400, I saw people who were attached to oxygen masks. I saw people who were bailing out after 200 meters. I saw people who were throwing up at the top. All of a sudden, I discovered that running up a ski jump is pretty hardcore. And I'll tell you, I almost chickened out. I really did, because when it comes to running, I prefer that long, slow trickle of discomfort. I like Iron Man for that reason. Because when I talk about Iron Man, when I talk about running the the marathon at the end of an Iron Man, I think of it as a buffet, right? I'm just running from one station to the next. I'm high-fiving people. I'm having a great time. It's really fun. It's all about that controlled pace and the control of pain. You can't control the pain in a Red Bull 400. You go all out, and it is freaking hard. And when I finally did that race, when I finally showed up, when I finally faced the fear that this was going to hurt, and it did hurt, I learned that I was kind of badass. That was pretty cool. It was the same thing with running up the Empire State Building. That's another challenge that, on the surface, seems pretty hard, because that's 86 flights of stairs. And I have asthma, so even going up one flight of stairs was a challenge. But running up 86 flights of stairs and then getting to the observation deck at the top of the Empire State Building at 9 o'clock on a February night is the coolest thing. So, yes, it's hard. And yes, it's much different from your typical endurance event, but it's so worth it to get outside of your comfort zone and to do new things that push you um, and take you new places. I'll admit, I've always wanted to do a race in costume, but I've never done it. I worry that people might think I'm not taking the race seriously. You ran several races in costumes and even challenged the idea that running doesn't have to be so serious. Why do you think everyone should try a costumed run? Well, the costume run that I did was Bay to Breakers in San Francisco. So everybody there is wearing a costume. Or I shouldn't say everybody, because some people were wearing nothing at all. So might be a costume in and of itself. But when you do an event like that, you don't really think about what other people see you as because we're all out there we're all being kind of weird right but even doing say your local 5k in a costume once in a while I don't think that's a bad idea and the reason I say that is because we all take running so seriously right training has to be hard we have to suffer this is not fun but it is this is fun this is supposed to be something that we enjoy this is supposed to be something that builds up 
our lives rather than takes away from it. And when we lose sight of that, when we get so serious, when we stop having fun, what's the point of doing that, right? So those costumed runs or those fun runs can sometimes take us out of that mindset and remind us of why we're doing that. Doing Beta Breakers was so much fun. It was just a full-on celebration of weirdness and running and being in the streets of San Francisco and just going wild. And yes, we also ran. We also got a finisher's medal at the end, and that was pretty cool. But when I look back at that day, I look back at the time that I rediscovered that this is all supposed to be fun. We definitely don't want to give anyone the impression that your year of discomfort was all fun and games because you also raced one of the world's most prestigious ultramarathons, the 56-mile Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Comrades features more than 20,000 competitors, a hilly course, and an extremely strict 12-hour cutoff. In the book, you talk about being nervous about both the distance and the time cutoff. Why did you decide to include such a high-pressure event in your project? Because I was spending my year doing races that I had put off for so long because, you know, they were flippant or because they were too hard, Um, I... I had to look at the Comrades Marathon as one of those races that I had to include during this year of discomfort. If I was going to spend a year facing my fears, if I was going to spend a year getting outside of the comfort zone, Comrades Marathon was right at the top of my list. It's 56 miles in South Africa, and you have 12 hours to complete it. Now, mind you, I had never run anything more than a marathon before signing up for combat. And I didn't think I could do it in under 12 hours. But every single time I had encountered somebody who had done that race, they just had this glow about them. They had this discovery while they were there that changed their lives. And I wanted that. I wanted to know what it was like to have this out-of-body experience while running. And if I had to go to South Africa... To do that, I was going to do it. But yes, there was that matter of getting in under 12 hours, and that scared me. I had less than a year to train, and I had less than a year to become fast enough to cover 56 miles in 12 hours. That was all-consuming, I won't lie. But it was nice that I was also training for this while doing all of these fun events because I didn't obsess over it. I, just, I got my miles in. I had a great time while doing that. Um, and along the way, I also got fit enough to show up for the starting line of comrades. But even once I got there, I was terrified. I didn't think I belonged because I looked at all of these runners around me, and they seemed so fit. They, they were skinny. They were fast. They didn't have asthma. They seemed to know what they were doing, and I had none of those things. So I was really super terrified. But again, I wanted so, so, so badly to know what it would be like to be a part of this comrade experience. So this morning, I showed up. I became one of the 20,000 people, and I didn't think I was going to make it the finish line in time. In fact, they had cutoffs every 10, 15 miles or so. 
And at the first cutoff, I saw that I had just barely missed the cutoff by 45 minutes. And that was terrifying because I knew that as the miles went on, I would get slower. I didn't have 45 minutes to spare. Um, so, so that was motivating. That was hugely motivating. But also the people around me, the entire country, shows up for this race. They're all along the road. They're cheering you on. They're lifting you up. And it's just this most amazing experience. And so I was running because I was scared, but also because I didn't want to let them down. And so I kept going. And I said, you know what? If they have to pull me off this course, they can. But until that happens, I'm going to keep going. And I did it. I finished the Comrades Ultramarathon in under 12 hours. And it was worth that. It was worth the pressure. It was worth the fear. It was worth the self-doubt. Because once I crossed that finish line, I felt the sense that my life really had changed. And so I was one of them, right? I belonged. I had this, this community around me um, that, that was very validating to me. And that was just the greatest experience. So, yes, it was absolutely worth getting outside of my comfort zone and taking on this high-pressure event. This is your first book where your being deaf plays a role in the overall narrative. I especially love the story from Comrades when you saw the children cheering and holding a sign that read, Bolton School for the Deaf Loves Deaf Runners. Why was it important to weave these specific experiences as a deaf runner into this book? The reason I had never talked much about being deaf before was because it had never really come up. As a writer, you get this really unique opportunity to put your words on paper, and nobody knows anything about you. They don't know what you sound like. They don't know what you look like. Um, They don't really know anything about the person who's doing the writing. And at first, that was kind of cool. And then I started meeting people, and I wasn't what they expected. When you think of somebody who writes for a running magazine or somebody who writes for a triathlete magazine, you probably get this image in your head, right? And I don't quite fit the image of what most people have when they think of somebody who writes about endurance sports for a living. Most people certainly don't think that I'm deaf. And then they meet me and it's shocking. And that was a real light bulb moment for me. Well, I realized that there are all kinds of unique people and unique voices in our sport. Why do we have this idea of what a real runner is or these stereotypes of what we should fit? I don't fit that mold. Most people don't fit that mold. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't talk about our unique experiences. We don't celebrate the diversity that is within our sport. There's so many great people, unique experiences, challenges that we overcome every single day. And so if I wanted to change the perception of what runners are, I had to start by being authentically me. And that meant talking about being deaf because Here I am. This is the voice that I have, and I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that to challenge people's perceptions of what runners are, um, and also to go out there and be me 
and that's so freeing. That's so fun. And I love the response that I've gotten from people as a result of sharing that element about me in this book. Several of your runs were done with a team, your husband, or a close friend. Can you tell us about some of the benefits of having a running buddy? When I look back on my time as an endurance athlete, I don't think about racing. I don't think about medals. I don't collect T-shirts. I don't do any of that. I think about the people. You may remember that my first book, Life's Too Short to Go So Fucking Slow, is about my best friend, Carlos. He was the guy who turned me from an overweight alcoholic train smoker to an Ironman triathlete. This friendship changed my life. I also met my husband at a triathlon. I met my closest friends at racing. I, I believe truly that the thing that brings the most value to us as runners, as athletes, as triathletes, is the people that surround us, the friendships that we get from sharing these experiences together. So it wasn't intentional that I set out to have all of these adventures with friends in this book, but it just naturally and organically happened because that's how I run. That's how I race. I'm more likely to send a text message to a friend saying, I want to do this stupid thing than I am to go out and do the stupid thing myself. I'm more likely to rope my husband into doing a race with me than I am to register for it and just go it alone. Because what's the fun of doing it by yourself? I think the training buddies that we have, um, they lift us up, they support us, they allow us to go further than we might have gone before. Because there's that kind of goading, there's that kind of prodding that comes with your training buddy um, where they challenge you where they, they encourage you, um, where they hold that mirror up until you see what they see, which is that you're incredible, you're badass. And so those turning buddies really are so critical to my experience as a runner. And um, so within the book, all of these activities, all of these races, all of these experiences that we have, it's not so much about what we did, but who I did it with. I know it's hard to compare races, especially when they're all so different, but at the end of the year, could you pick a favorite? And I'm secretly hoping you'll say the Naked 5K. The Naked 5K was unique, and it was interesting, and it was also very bouncy, but it was not my favorite race, believe it or not. And what may surprise you is that my favorite race wasn't a race at all. It was running the Grand Canyon with my friend Heidi. And the reason for that is that when people talk about going into the Grand Canyon, most people will say it's a bad idea. It's a horrible idea. Less than 1% of people who visit the Grand Canyon every year actually go into the canyon down to the bottom. And here Heidi and I were standing at the rim of the canyon going, let's go see what it's like in there. And we did. We ran into the canyon, and we ran back out. And it was so satisfying. It was so unique and so special and so cool. And I didn't get a finisher's medal for it. And that changed my attitude toward running because that experience had been so different 
for me and so validating for me. And it wasn't about the time. It wasn't about the finishers medal. It wasn't about what place we got. It was the fact that I can tell you that I'm in the less than 1% of people who know what it looks like at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And it's beautiful. Between your racing, writing, and teaching, we know you're the kind of person who can't sit still for long. Is it too soon to ask what's next? That's true. I do like to have a lot of pots on the stone. Uh, as far as racing goes, right now I am getting ready to run the Hood to Coast relay with a group of friends. I am super excited about that, um, mostly just because it sounds like it's going to be a weekend-long celebration of running and running and weirdness, and that's definitely my cup of tea. Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you've inspired me to mix up my own training and racing, and I'm sure you've connected with many of our listeners as well. If anyone wants to add a copy of Running Outside the Comfort Zone to their own library, what's the best way to buy the book? Thank you for having me. It's always so great to be with the Iron Women listeners. If anybody wants to pick up a copy of my new book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone, it's available in bookstores, running shops, and online. If you are interested in getting a copy of Susan's book, Running Outside the Comfort Zone, I highly recommend going through Susan's website, which is susanlakey.com. Lakey is spelled L-A-C-K-E. And we'll make sure we link to that in our show notes. But if you go there, there's a link to get a signed copy of her book. And Susan is hilarious. It's totally worth it to get the autographed copy. So I highly recommend taking that route. All right, Haley. Well, all the best in your travels this week and happy racing. And we will catch up next week to decompress and tell how the races go. Thanks, Alyssa. And good luck to you too. Talk to you next week. Bye Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.